hello. They go, is this the new late night host for Fox? And I almost crashed my car. I had to pull over and catch my breath. <laughs> Welcome to Howie Mandel Does Stuff. I'm Howie Mandel. I'm Jacqueline Schultz. And we are, we are graced today with an amazing icon of comedy. Uh, Spike, how do how you pronounce the last name? Ferriston? Ferriston? That was great. That, that was, was good. Perfect. That was it. Yeah, Ferriston. I but I noticed like even in our office, people were going, uh, "Spike Ferstein's here." Spike yeah. Ferstein or Frankenstein. Frank Frankenstein. <laughs> I've heard every iteration of this. Right. My entire life. We all know who you are. We just don't know how to say your name. <laughs> I apologize. You don't have to apologize for those that. It's actually not a hard last name. No, either. it isn't. Why? Why do you think there's so many iterations in people's mind? My grandfather was Jewish. And he married an It's Irish, always the Jews. You an always Irish, blame everything on the Jews. It is the Jews' fault. They married the, uh, this Irish woman, and then this was something you didn't do back in the day. So he said, I'm going to take some letters out of the name. Took the I out. I think it used to be Ferenstein. Didn't go far enough. You oh, know, like the Bar you're like a Berenstein bear. Yeah, I, a Ferenstein bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I you am. know what's amazing, though? Yeah. Talk about what, it, the, his lineage that he comes from. We, we come from a culture where we know about buying vowels. We've never seen somebody remove them. We've never, to make it work. <laughs> it didn't, doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Look at how we started. So Spike. Why make it simple? Ferris. Fair. You can do that, you know. You can do whatever you I want. I can change it. I already changed the first name. It's, it's already Did you mess. change it? That's a nickname. That's a nickname, yes. For your hair. But here you are. You just introduced me as that guy. But I'm Michael. I'm Michael Donovan Ferriston. Michael Irishman Jew. That's who I am. Wow. Cheap, cheap, <laughs> said the bird, the, the Irish and the Jew. See what I did? Mm -hmm. Okay. So anyway, Michael. But Spike, more people will know you and we'll get more clicks on this podcast. If yes. We use Do people call you Michael? Just um, my mom. Okay. That's it. And not me. No. So Spike don't. is responsible for some of the biggest laughs the world has had over the last, I'd say, two decades. Come on. Well, uh, let's 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 take a, a a trip down memory lane. So Spike was a young man uh, working as an intern at NBC at Rockefeller Center, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Passing jokes off to Dennis Miller for Weekend right. Update. Yes. Right. Did you aspire at that time to be a comedian? <clears throat> no, I thought I had just bailed out of college at Berkeley College of Music. You're a musician. I was. What do you play? Uh, guitar. But I wrote. I was mostly writing music. And uh, Did you want that to be your career? I thought I was going to end up writing elevator music. You know, uh, oh wow, That'd yeah, be or what jingles, an... or or little little radio songs. So yeah. you were a musician at the Berkeley School of Music who yeah. aspired to entertain us on our way up, and or <laughs> or during in between the show that we chose to watch. Like you didn't have any aspirations of being like Hans Zimmer. Or... I I thought maybe I could be Hans Zimmer, but really what I thought was I was going to be you know Muzak or a music teacher. People forget about Muzak, but you know yeah, I bought a Muzak, Muzak I bought a Muzak <laughs> album. I once had it on the Tonight Show. There was an album. Muzak <laughs> is that elevator or doctor waiting room music that you hear that you always wonder like who are these people in Elevate, the elevator music. Yeah. What's that music playing in the elevator? It right. sounds like a song that I know but it's just an organ or something. And they have an album for that? They used to. Well, I don't know. 
They did. I wasn't aiming high. But you know that, mu that music <laughs> in the elevator? I always aspire, just to meet you, because I think when I'm in the elevator and you hear do, 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 mm -hmm. do, like that, you go, there's people playing this. There's yeah. people who know that they're playing this not for a concert, not for somebody to stream, mm -hmm. not for, uh, you know, anything but the, it's made for the elevator. Right. Right. That's all there was. No, there is. There's a big, much bigger world out there. <laughs> now computers are doing it. So right, but I'm I would have been out of work for a human being to aspire to entertain. It wasn't aspire. It was. This is probably where I'm going to end up. You didn't you know, set a big. Uh, no, you'd have to goal. I mean, in high school, I came from you know before the internet. That's where I come from, like you. Right. And so I'm in a small town. I had a band. And I was a band that played in elevators in in high school. <laughs> oh. I was like Harry Styles for some reason. Like I really owned the school because wait, I wait, wait. performed in plays and I played Rolling Stones cover. It was a very small school, but there was no. We were in a little bubble. There and was, you were like the Harry Styles. I was the Harry Styles. Can you imagine that? If we talked to a young woman of your era, they were shoot. all offered to me. Yes, they all threw themselves <laughs> down at my feet. I didn't understand it, but I think it had something to do with the fact that I would pick up a guitar with my band and play at the parties or or, or for school events or between basketball games, halftime shows. I used to be a performer. But so, because I had no competition outside of this little bubble of, say, 400 kids in our high school. Where'd you grow up? West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Okay. This is a place I still love. Okay. But because there was no internet, there was no YouTube you were it was it. a lot focused on me. You were the only direction. Yes. So then I spun out of that small town into Boston where I was absolutely nothing. And Berkeley College of Music, all the kids from the hometowns who were the Harry Styles were all there. And then suddenly, you know, so you, I was you, lost. You, and just you, completely lost. So, so I started uh, in on this uh, music scoring program and then, you know, lowered my expectations. And then... You get a, you apply to NBC. No, I I was uh, I was watching this David Letterman show every night. Didn't you get kicked out of school? I didn't get kicked out of school. I got kicked out of the dorms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, because he's a rock and roller like Harry Styles. Why yeah. did you get kicked out? It, I read this story and it reminded me kind of of your story. Yes. And how you found comedy. Yes. I was throwing light bulbs uh, one night, drinking beer with my friends and throwing light bulbs on a Mass Ave from my eighth floor window. Right. Yeah. Flu big fluorescent light bulbs. Not trying to hit people, just watching them kind of explode, explode beautifully below. Right. And uh, and the security guard came out and saw us and, and booted us out. But, if you know, about two or three weeks later, I saw the Letterman doing a tower drop. Right. I thought, this guy is getting paid for what I just got kicked out of the dorms for. Maybe this is, and I really thought this, maybe this is where I belong, network television. And that's what started me thinking, you know, there's not something wrong with me, but there clearly was. But that this <laughs> maybe is a place that will accept me, this, this network TV, this show, this David Letterman guy. So what do you do? How do you how do you go from watching this on TV, the guy's doing something close to what you just got expelled for. And I don't know anybody. Right. So what do you do? What do you well, do? Well, first I, I I went to the show. My roommate got tickets and we went to New Audience. York. And uh, yeah. And I and I bet my friends on the floor I could get onto the show, which I did that night. So that you got to get on camera? I said, I will get on camera in some way. 
because I was just obsessed with David Letterman. And uh, at the top of the show, he said, we're going to hand out its uh, lyrics to O Canada. Uh, we're going to have the audience sing O Canada. So are there any Canadians out in the audience? And I just ran right up onto the stage. Is this on YouTube? Uh, it will be. I, Letterman folks just interviewed me, uh, my favorite moments. And I, and, and I had kept that a secret from them from all these years, because you know how Dave is sensitive about people who really like him a lot. <laughs> You remember the women that would show up at his house? Yeah. But he had that level of obsession with his fans, and I was one of those people. But I mean, we, we, if we look up uh, people singing O Canada from the audience, from Letterman. You'll, I don't know if it's on YouTube yet, but it's going to be. It's going to be on Dave's channel. And okay. for a split second, you'll see me in my 80s sport coat. So you ran up. I ran up. And ran you won out. the bet. And I won the bet. What did you went win? went back. And everything I had seen, the show and uh, the way it was run and, you know, just with 30 Rock, all of it, I just knew this is where I have to work. This place was made uh, for me. Uh, does that make sense? It just, Absolutely. Like, it just called to me in a way that nothing else had ever called to me. And Is it there? You guys see it? There's O Canada. Is this, we, 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 I wonder if that's the. That's us singing. It, you see it, you see it. Oh, wait, here, here we go. There you go. Put some sound on this. Thursday is always a special night. For oh, us. yeah, this is Don Giller who posted this. And, uh, we, we certainly hope you at home are enjoying it as much as we are. Now, we don't, now, now wait. Let's, let's do it. You want him standing for this? No, this is, this is. No, that was that first one. Yeah, it's the first one. It's when people are coming up. The first one. I just can't believe it. That's not it. 300 strangers. No. Well, 300 strangers. It's yeah. that. It's so now you know what I'm talking about when I say that Thursday is kind of a special night for us. That's the right year. It's very special for me. Mm -hmm. But it, you'd have you to, you'd see people uh, coming up on the stage and he's handing out lyric sheets. Fast forward. From the monologue, Mark. Canada. That's it. Oh, because Paul's from Canada. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's not going to happen. You guys look you for it on your own and yeah, see. It, maybe it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah. Or if it does, we'll put it in after. I think it's about to be put up by the Letterman folks. Because, okay. uh, you know, he, I worked at Dave's show for five years. And for all five years, I was terrified that they would find out about this moment. Well, let me... This let, moment let, of let, desperation. So let's, let's go back. Okay, so now you say that's where I have to work. Yeah, and you... Yeah. You, you I go apply, back. You I'm apply a, to David Letterman? I'm a, I'm a bartender at Legal Seafoods. Uh, oh, a that, lot of people came out of there. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, Legal Seafoods is in Boston. It's in Boston. Right. I'm in Boston. I go to school during the day. I am bartender and an oyster shucker at night, mm -hmm. um, uh, shucking oysters for the likes of Ted Kennedy and John Kerry and folks like that. Did and you meet a lot them? Of tourists. Yeah, 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 yeah. You met John Kennedy? Uh, Ted Kennedy. Oh, you said John, <laughs> and John Ken Kerry. <laughs> oh, John Kerry. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. You said John Kennedy. You did. Did I? Yeah, I think you did. I don't know. Did he? He did. You lied. That would be amazing. That's I why I thought. That's why I stopped JFK. You. But that's what I thought. That would be incredible. That's why I stopped you. But let's go. Okay. So now, and you call who? A, a new hostess walks in with a Letterman varsity jacket, just out of the blue. Maybe a month after I see this uh, Letterman show, and I walk uh, left the bar, walked right up to her, and I said, "What's your name?" She goes, "Harriet." You go. She goes, "I'm the new hostess." I go, "Where did you get the jacket?" She goes, uh, I, uh, my boyfriend uh, works for David Letterman on the show. He's a graphics guy. I go, can you get me an intern? She goes, do you want to even tell me your name? 
<laughs> I'm the bartender. And she said, uh, you know what? He's still in love with me. We just broke up and now I'm here, but I I'll call him if you want. And I go, I want. You can really set that up. And she did. And she called this guy, uh, Bob Pook was his name. Bob Still Pook. is Bob Pook. And uh, he said, sure, come do an internship. So this is all was. because of Harriet. This is all because of Harriet, who then later weirdly became David Mamet's personal assistant. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Magic you time and hosting is. and bartending at Legal Seafood. So now you're an, an intern <laughs> at Letterman. Yeah. Now I'm an intern at Saturday Night Live and Letterman. And oh, then, both. You do both. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, Bob Pook at the time. You know, you, you remember all of this, right? There were art cards. You had to aim cameras at things. And then right. they had this new thing called Paintbox. So I was the guy who, let's say they did uh, a Peanuts joke or Charlie Brown joke. Right. I was the guy who was sent out into New York City to find a picture or drawing of Snoopy holding a football or looking disappointed. or So I was going for to- For Weekend Update. For Weekend Update. And for uh, Shecky and, and Brian McAloon at Letterman, for any jokes Dave did, same thing. You literally had to go out into libraries and tear pages out of books and sneak them out and bring them in so they could shoot them. At this time, a young Spike, what do you, you're, you like that you've engaged in, in a world that you wanted to yeah. be in, but is this, what did you, did you have in mind? Like when you were at Berkeley, you go, okay, this is probably going to end up being the elevator. Mu I'm going to be the elevator yeah, music yeah. guy as the intern at Letterman. What did you, what did you want? What were you going for? Well, I had a couple of problems. One, I lived in Boston. So you were commuting. I was commuting. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> I was. How were you commute? It was the only way I could do it. I had to do a double shift uh, Monday, Sunday and Monday, double shifts to make money. And then Tuesday morning, I would scoot and get on Apple Air. Remember, uh, yeah. there was a student flight for $29. And I would fly to, and sleep on my friends uh, in Brooklyn's floor. And I would work for both shows. And then Saturday night after Saturday Night Live, I would take a train at three in the morning after the party and be back in Boston for after the, next the week. party. You went to the parties. Yeah, of course. Well, you have to. <laughs> did you see anything amazing at the parties? Those are the days where like Mick yeah. Jagger, the Rolling Stone. Did you? Well, everybody with was there. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 Ben Stiller was just starting out there. Uh, Bob Odenkirk was just starting out there. It, it was great. It was the whole thing was like a movie. My favorite year. When I watch my favorite year, I think about those years, and. Uh, my, you know, back to your original question, the more I saw, the more I wanted to be a part of this. When you I, say be a part of it in any particular, did you want to be on camera? Uh, I was. I did, you know, bits here and there. You know, they always put the PAs in. I, w I was just feeling around for where I kind of fit in. And, um, you know, it was really Dennis and and wanting to write things for Dennis where I, where I felt like, I think I can do this. And I started writing jokes for Dennis and-, and Without hand. being asked to. What was the first time when you actually <clears throat> wrote a joke and you decided to like give it to him or slip it to he him? He was great. He was, he, I mean, you know, you're terrified that he's gonna start screaming at you. And he was like, oh, thanks. He just thanked me for it. And, I, and I, I wrote for a few weeks and didn't get anything on. And then on the very last show that I was an intern, um, he did one of my jokes. You remember the joke? I don't remember. Everybody asked me that question. I don't remember the joke. It was something about Disney dollars and some tangential connection to something going on in politics. But I remember the hit. I think it's like, 
you know, what crack feels like the first time you smoke it, that first high. That I very clearly remember. So, and then I was done. I was done. Like, this, so, this is what I want to do, that I wrote something on a piece of paper and then it came out of that TV. That was like nothing else I'd ever experienced. You, as somebody who, you know, likes to be in front of the camera. Yeah. You know, and, and I know you do too, and you're very good at it, and you've been great at it. Thank and you. I, I, before we did the, the podcast, I said, we, we have to see more of you on camera. I think there's a, thank you. That's a, a missed opportunity that a lot of people are overlooking. But, but the, the point is that if you write something funny, and then you hand it to somebody and they get a big laugh. Was there ever any of that kind of animosity as far as, oh, I wish I could say. Like, I mean, it's not, great that you got it on TV. No, but not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No, because it was such a challenge to learn how to do that. And I was such a big fan of Dennis's and still am. And I just, you know, it was such a thrill. It, this is a show I had grown up watching like so many folks had grown up watching. I remember the first time I saw it, my dad woke me up and he said, you got to see this show. This is a I don't know. It's why I had one of these comedy dads. What do you? Like, what do your parents? You gotta. Do? You gotta listen to this George Carlin album. You gotta listen to this. You know. What did your dad do? What did he uh, do? Nothing. Now he's not around. But he was a salesman. Mom was a nurse, and but he was a frustrated comedian. So everything from you know Jerry Lewis was his hero, Jonathan Winters, but uh, you know really all the the great you know comics from our generation. Um, what that was his thing. So now you get a joke. On Saturday Night Live, what's the next? What was the next? How, how to do more of this? No, but you weren't hired as a writer. You weren't paid. You weren't paid as a writer. No, no. So you were an intern. So how do you how do you make it as a like? How it did, sounds very dramatic, but I was leaving that night at three in the morning, and right. uh, wa uh, the party was on the skating rink at Thirty Rock, and uh, you know that was the end of it. I was going back to Boston for good, and uh, as I was on my way out, I uh, saw. One of the people I was interning under uh, at the omelet table, at the omelet station. At the omelet station. And I stopped for a second. I went, oh, should I go in and say goodbye to Ed again? And <clears throat> said, yeah, why don't I go? I'll go and say it's the right thing to do. So I went over to Ed Hall. Do you know Ed Hall? No. He was the announcer, I think, on the on the Tonight Show for a while. Um, oh, and he th then I do know. You, then yeah, yes, yeah. I do know who he is. And he was doing graphics at the time on the show. And I you know, said, Ed. Thank you for the opportunity. Everything was great. And he goes, yeah, if you ever want to come back and just do a straight intern for Letterman, let me know. I said, really? Because that's all I really wanted. You know, I wanted out of the graphic department. I wanted on that show. And he goes, yeah, yeah, just give me a call. Uh, so went back to Boston, sold all my stuff, called Ed uh, and said, uh, hey, I want to take you up on that, uh, that offer you made. And he goes, what offer? <laughs> I said, you told me I could come you know, do an internship for Letterman. He goes, ah, oh, I was really drunk that night. Did I say that? Shit. <laughs> and well, I go, even yeah, the way, even the way he did, <laughs> Ed. <laughs> he said, all right, well, all right, let me figure it out. And he figured it out. And he got me the internship. And I just, I moved to New York with uh, enough money for a month. And, and it all sort of worked out. You know what this teaches people? They should just make shit up. They should be like, remember that time you told me that I can have a job? And they're like, no, you said it. You said it. And then, <laughs> and then you just get jobs that way. Yeah, this is where being drunk really works. It's out for me. But it, uh, no, it really, I think what you should learn from that is always say goodbye to people. Yeah. <laughs> and omelets. These little tiny moments, like that moment is so small. 
And I could have just gone, nah, I got to get on the train and get home. And the, I'm tired. And we wouldn't have the history you have. You've written some so. of the most, you know, we won't go through each iteration of your career. Um, your name became synonymous with Seinfeld. Yeah. I think, yeah. With, the, with the show. Yeah. And you wrote some of the most iconic episodes. You wrote, did you write The Soup Nazi? Yeah, that was the first one. Right. And, and in writing with, uh, like, and working with uh, Larry David, yeah. you know, the soup Nazi, you're writing something. Wasn't that, was that your um, idea or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, in fact, it's. It's a real place. It starts with your idea and then Jerry and Larry and the rest of the writers turn it into an episode, right? But the idea, the thing that, that usually kicks off an episode was you'd walk in and you'd pitch the two of them just like this. And I did. It was my first pitch. I uh, worked for Dave for five years, knew nothing about sitcom writing, but they they were just like, come tell us stories about living in New York. We've been out here for a long time. We want to know what life is like back there, you know. And I pitched uh, uh, five or six ideas. They, they had those looks on their face as I'm pitching, and I'd been told if they laugh, you'll uh, get an episode on. But if they're not laughing, if they're just kind of looking at you like you guys are looking at me now, <laughs> oh. <laughs> they'd go like this. They, you, you, you keep pitching because you don't have anything yet, right? So I right. pitched, I pitched, I pitched, nothing. I'm kind of flop sweating. And Larry goes, uh, what else you got? What, what else is happening in New York? Where do you go to lunch? Something, some question like that. I said, well, uh, you know, uh, we eat at this place called the Soup Nazi. Larry starts laughing for the first time in the pitch. He goes, what? I go, they call him the soup Nazi because if you don't order your soup correctly, then he yells at you. And he goes, well, why do you keep going there? And he goes, nobody knows. The, the soup is really good. They put up with the abuse. And now the two of them are dying. And, and I'm very confused. They, they go, eh, that's your episode. That's the one. Soup Nazi. Perfect. Get out. Very, such a confusing pitch. I walked out not even understanding what had happened. Because it wasn't anything that you planned on going in and pitching? Yeah, it was just like telling them a story about the weird guy at the Dunkin' Donuts this morning before, you know, it was such a, it wasn't And they a, said, go write the- They said, go write the Soup Nazi. And I went, great. And I walked out and I went to Gamble and Prost, two of the writers on the show got me there, got me on, this, on staff. And so they said to write the Soup Nazi. And they go, that's great. Yeah, we heard the laugh and you sold the show. Tom talks like that. He talks like a cartoon <laughs> and I And I said, okay. I go, he goes, just turn it into an episode. He goes, you've got the shred. Now you've got the, the little uh, the, the little thread of it, the little bit of it. You've got to plot it out and figure it out. And that's where the work started. You know? And so, then so you wrote it. And then No, they, you outlined back then. You would outline up till the just the act break, right? So you had to figure out, okay, here's this place that that, you know, who am I in the story? I, I'm a couple of different guys. I'm Jerry in the beginning going, what? There's a soup guy? You have to order it right? They go, I know how to order soup. There's George, who's a skeptical uh, Kramer. We thought, well, maybe he'd be a friend of the soup Nazi. He's an eclectic, and so is the soup Nazi, so they'll get along. Elaine will hate him based on principle. And you started kind of outlining the scenes of the story and what's going to be funny about it. And, you know, there were lots of holes. But at some point, you would then maybe a month later, bring Larry and Jerry in and take them through the board. Here's, you know, here's... What, so you got cards up on a board? And are you... No, 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 dry erase, no cards. Everything has to be dry erase. Everything's color-coded kind of dry erase marker, and you'd walk them through beats. Jerry and George, uh, talk about the soup Nazi. George gets rejected. Uh, maybe later on, Elaine 
beats the soup Nazi. We don't know how. You know, you just kind of plot it out. No line, no no dialogue, just story points. Maybe uh, no soup for you is probably the only line of dialogue I know at that point. And then, you know, in the meantime, even before Larry and Jerry there, you're bringing in the other writers. They're helping you with yours. You're helping. And it, it was, a you know, a real team effort. But there were never there was never a moment, at least that season, where we got a bunch of writers in a room and wrote. You took the script as far as you could take it. You went to script and wrote it. And then are Larry you hired Jerry, or are they buying the script? Are you hired on? I'm on staff. Said, yeah, I'm on staff. Based on that pitch? No. The pitch came before. The pitch was at Larry's house uh, a few months before where he said to pitch some ideas. Uh, right. It was my second time pitching the show. The, the at his house. At his house, yeah, yeah. So then how do you get hired from that? How do you get hired on staff? Well, he hired me in that moment. Oh, from the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, a year previous. Amazing. Yeah. I, I went out to Larry's house and I pitched a bunch of ideas and they hired uh, Bergen Schaefer. They only had one spot, so everybody was vying for one spot. The next year, they they called me back. It was, you know, it really came out of a, an uncomfortable moment with Jerry in the elevator at Letterman where uh, it was Friday. It was a bad week. I was burned out. I was tired. And Jerry was on the show that night and Dave was up on the 14th floor, right? So right. Jerry and Dave had been chatting. We're coming down the elevator. I get on on 12, and there's the guy who just didn't hire me, like maybe three or four months ago, didn't hire me. And he's talking to Mary Connolly, the segment producer, and I'm like, I know these people are going to lose. They, they've, they've talked as much as they can talk, and they're going to turn to me at some point, and I don't want to talk to Jerry Seinfeld right now because I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. <laughs> like, why didn't you hire me? And sure enough, fifth floor, Mary goes, this is Spike First and one of our writers. And Jerry goes, huh, didn't you do a submission for us? And I go, yeah, yep, yep, I did. And he goes, whatever happened to that? And I go, shouldn't you know that? <laughs> and then I went, oh, did I just say that to Jerry <laughs> And I walked out and, you know, just like, God damn it, I'm never going to get hired on that show. Weirdly, after that, I got asked back to come and do another submission. Flew out to Larry's house. Uh, do, you, do you ever go to La where Larry lived at the time in Pacific Palisades, this giant, beautiful mansion, get brought in by the maid into the kitchen, and I'm just standing there. His little dog comes out, and I go to pet it, and it scares the dog, and it just wets the floor. <laughs> and then Larry walks in. Oh, oh, you made the dog pee. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go back then. It's okay. I'll get that. I'll get that. So that's how that pitch started. I don't even remember what I pitched, but I think the little kicks was on that list. And uh, wow, you know, he said, uh, I, "I like this stuff. I, I, I like the way you think. I like what's the that that you kind of have your ear to the the sidewalk." He said something like that in New York. Uh, I'm hiring you. He goes, "I just don't understand why you put Michael on your pitch list. There isn't your name Spike." And I go, "Yeah, it was a nickname I got a Saturday Night Live. Real name's Michael." And he goes, "Eh, I like Spike better." I'm hiring Spike. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and then slammed the gate in my face. So that was the the pitch that got me on. Then there was the actual work, which was this very first pitch of season seven, where you went in and, you know, like you got to sell something in the sense that you've got to get them to send you to episode or you're going to probably get fired. Wow. So the pressure was always on. It's kind of like that Saturday Night Live pressure that 
yeah. performer writers talk about, about just... It's much more intense than that, and it's much it faster. And Letterman was a 13-week cycle for a writer. So right. week nine, you're always waiting for the knock at the door. Like, is this... They have to let you know by week nine if they're not going to pick up your contract. So that was every 13 weeks. Seinfeld, you heard... You would hear about other writers who just weren't didn't fit into that little culture. It was a very small operation, not unlike what you have going on here. It felt very small and insulated, but you had to be able not even to write, but pitch stories that would make Jerry and Larry laugh, right? So there was a lot of weight on that first pitch session. If wow. you if you left it and you did you didn't then have an episode to work on, you were probably in a bit of trouble. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then you you also, do you direct? Uh, no, no. You've never directed? No, no, no. I mean. You produce. Producing is writing. I mean, what? I, and credited director? No. But have I directed segments before? Yeah. Um, did you ever want to, like when you went to Letterman the first time as an audience member and said, I'm going to get on camera, when you were writing Seinfeld, did you ever want to, and did you play any characters in the show? No, no. And And you didn't want to? Not really. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. I'd imagine that if his <laughs> thought was he was going to be making elevator music and now you're writing on Seinfeld, like you've already feel like you've reached your goals, right? Or far exceeded your goals. Did you not? I'm sure you didn't have expectations to then be in front of the camera. Did you? Yeah, you did. You did? I did. But... Let's go back to the soup Nazi. After we shot that, we shot it on the night that the OJ verdict came in, mm -hmm. which, uh, wow. do you remember that day? Okay. Who doesn't? <laughs> it wasn't, I thought, a good day for comedy. It was just a day that everybody was just shell-shocked. And I went, now I'm kind of screwed. Weirdly, the show went off at five or six that night, and the audience laughed pretty hard and and it, it all worked out as 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 we were in the edit room Larry and I and I was just sitting there not Larry was doing all the editing I was fairly certain I had written the worst episode of Seinfeld that I would single-handedly bring down this show you and, didn't see it as being oh no no funny it's one of the funniest I know now that you can experience it that way. Someone told, uh, you know, I, I just worked with someone, uh, uh, a producer uh, who said there are two kinds of writers, writers who just love everything they write and writers that hate everything that they write. And I said, well, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I really feel like I good, got a good barometer on stuff, but, but I'm learning I'm not. <laughs> that after I've written something and it's shot, it's very hard for me to like it and see it. I kind of set that aside now. I don't think about it that way, and I kind of put it together the way I I think it should be put together. But never is there a moment where I'm like, ah, I did it that time. <laughs> Look at that. And well, so the soup Nazi, I'm sitting next to Larry. He goes, I can't. We finished editing. He goes, I, I can't look at this thing any longer. Now, he's making an innocent comment there. But I'm interpreting it as I can't look at this thing any longer. Just we're done with it, right? Right. And then it airs, and I watched it by myself. And there was a, a an early Seinfeld forum up there, and there was one post, and it just said "worst episode ever." No. And I went, I knew it, I knew it. Went out and got drunk and came in the next morning expecting the worst. And uh, nobody's talking at breakfast. Larry and the writers were all having breakfast. And then Jerry came in and he said, boy, I got a lot of good phone calls last night. I've been getting phone calls at all about the show. Got a lot. 
And then his assistant, Carol Brown, came in and said, hey, we're on TV. Hey, all the New York press has picked up on the soup Nazi. And the whole thing just kind of flipped like a little, like a fairy tale. But wow. Yeah. That's wow. when I realized this was something bigger than that I thought it was. And it's iconic. You don't, you don't even have to watch. You know, you say the soup Nazi, and that's yeah. synonymous with, yeah. the Seinfeld, with the Seinfeld show. People know that. And you that's just like an innocent story that you told. Right. That's amazing. Yes. Do you, do you ever come outside of yourself and go, this is fucking amazing? No. No. No, but it's cool. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I, I you know... It was really a writer on Letterman, Dave Hansen, who introduced me to the soup Nazi. I essentially was George. He goes, we're going to the soup Nazi guy. I go, the soup Nazi? He goes, that's what they call him. That's his nickname. Just order your soup correctly. And, it, and it's from the episode. It's, uh, there are lots of little moments in there that really happened. You that know? was the beauty of that show. Yeah. Because they yeah. were all people's personal experiences. Uh, jumping ahead. You have the longest running talk show on Fox, and the late night talk show. <laughs> <laughs> three years. <laughs> but that but nobody has lasted three years <laughs> no, on Fox doing a talk show, a late mm -hmm. night talk show. What got you into that? Why did you want to so that's a big leap it is. from being a producer writer on the most successful uh, sitcom I think in, in history and a writer on you know I know you wrote Simpsons and you wrote a you know you wrote for Letterman you have established yourself as a behind the scenes genius mm -hmm. what 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 was the impetus for saying I want to do a talk show um development a world you know all too well I, I I spun out of Seinfeld um, with uh, a bunch of development deals, successive development deals, where they essentially handed you giant bags of money, which was nice, but said, you know, you've got to make the next Seinfeld or better, right? Right. And as you know, the element there's an element of television that is pure dumb luck. You never know what you're going to write or what you're going to do. That you you can't just be paid to make a hit. Maybe you can. I haven't figured it out yet, but. What did you do right after Seinfeld? What was I went into development deals and would sell pilots and, you know, nothing nothing really went. And, I, and truthfully, my heart really wasn't in it. I had made a decision to take money instead of follow, you know, my inner voice of what I wanted to work on. What did you and really what I missed was writing for Letterman. And I thought, well, I can't go back and do that. I like the immediacy of, of seeing what's happening in the world and then writing about it. Why don't I try to create my own show? And, and what that meant was, uh, who could I get to host a show that I run, that I create, that's a new late night show? And, I, and Norm MacDonald was that guy. I, I love just thought Norm, Norm is, he's uh, just a natural late night host. And I set up a meeting with Norm and he... He uh, wanted to meet at Norm's. Remember Norm's time? <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he's like, we got to meet at Norm's. <laughs> and uh, sat down with him, and I said, let's, you know, let's let's uh, program the 12.30 hour. I got, I got some juice off of this Seinfeld thing. That's not exactly what they're looking for, but I think we could put you, you know, at ABC, or we could put you after Dave. I can't remember where there was a spot. He goes, it's a great idea, Spike. And, he, and I say, he goes, so well, what's the premise? And I go, the premise is you in a suit behind a desk telling jokes, the monologue, but then you interview people. He goes, yeah, but what's it about? And I go, well, you should watch Dave. It's about you going after him. And he goes, no, no. What are, so what, are, what is the show? What's the, and he could never 
get he could he kept coming at me like we need a we need an idea behind it and i said we don't you're such a gifted storyteller and you're so funny and the only thing that's going to be hard for you is to manufacture interest in celebrities when you're interviewing them but i'm confident you can do that but he just he couldn't wrap his head around it and eventually passed on the idea and is I, it because he was talking to you who had the reputation of creating a sitcom that he thought that maybe this is no, it sounds no. like he was he thought this was going to be like a scripted I think he was a little ahead of everyone. Like he kind of saw where the late night landscape was heading and you could have a little more of a, a target, targeted audience like right. a sports talk show or even a Bill Maher type show, which is political, is a pre-daily show, right? There, right. There's a premise there. Um, but it, it, but still there was space in mainstream late night and that's what I was going for. So I, it, CAA called up my agent and I said, let's just do it with me. Conan had just done it. Let's see if we can see if we can figure it out. And nobody was interested. Lauren Michaels was interested in a little while, but then kind of lost interest in it. And I remember walking, uh, I was in New York and my agent called and he said, hey, you know, I, I don't think this is going to work out. I think we've exhausted all our options. Um, and I go, all right. And he goes, well, maybe there's one. It's, it's another one of these little moments. Uh, you know, I know this guy over at Fox. Let me just call them. Calls him up. He goes, yeah, they, they want to hear this. And I walked in. They, the the Fox Studio people, the, this is great. We, we've been looking for somebody to do late night. And I go, really? And they go, yeah. And we just sold a show to the guy running the network. I can't remember who the unscripted guy is over there. Mike Darnell. Mike Darnell. Yeah. We just sold a show last week to Mike Darnell. Why don't we go in there this week? He's still so excited about the show. Meanwhile, I don't have no idea what this show is. So we walked in and uh, pitched him out. And he goes, this is great. Let's do a pilot. <laughs> just like that, it right. was one of those pure dumb luck moments, timing-wise. We did a bunch of pilots. And uh, then uh, who was running the network at that time? The, uh, Riley? Kevin Riley? No, this is uh, before. I don't know. Uh, anyway. It's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. It's a she? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gail Berman. Gail Berman. Okay. I'm uh, a month after shooting this dumb pilot for nothing. I'm in Beverly Hills. My phone rings. It's uh, Darnell and Berman on the phone. And I go, hello. They go, is this the new late night host for Fox? And I almost crashed my car. I said, what? They go, we're, we're watching this. We're picking up your show. Congratulations. Essentially, you're going to be the Conan O'Brien of Fox. And I I had to pull over. That was such a moment of, I can't believe this is happening. I had to pull over and catch my breath, right? I talked to the people who produced it. <clears throat> We're going to the Polo Lounge tomorrow. Get ready. This is going to be amazing. I can't believe this is happening. Don't tell anybody, which don't. is another funny aspect of this. Don't <laughs> tell anybody. No. Don't tell anybody you're going to be on network. Tell television. anybody that the greatest thing in the world has just happened to you. And maybe about a week later, we're in the Polo Lounge and Gail Berman quits or gets fired. <laughs> and the whole thing just gets paused, just gets stopped, right? Well, what's you, you know this moment. You must know this moment. When you have development, you have a show, right. and then the development team gets fired right. or leaves. That happens the whole all slate goes, right. right? Right. And you're always going in the beginning, even though you know in your heart it's going away. You're going, are we okay? We're fine. Are you sure? You sure? Turns out we're not, right? And we had to wait. Uh, Peter Gorey was then hired. Um, 
I think we waited about a year, but they didn't let it go. You know, they, they held on and Peter was focused on, on prime time for a long time and eventually came back to late night and said, let's do, let's do this right. Let's do some more pilots. Um, let me fly to you to New York and work with this interview coach that everybody from Jimmy Kimmel to Conan to Leno has worked with. There's an interview coach. Oh, so weird. You didn't get that when you had your talk I didn't, show? I've never had an interview. No. Coach. Oh, this I think is I so one. weird. So we shot six or seven shows on the Best Damn Sports Show stage with Jason Bateman, Jerry. I, call, I was calling in favors all over the place. And then I would take that little half-inch cassette under my arm and fly to New York. I would go into this small little office, and this guy would take the cassette. I don't, I don't even know who this guy is. But it looks like he should have been selling insurance or something. <laughs> right. Not who you expected. It's not like Lester Holt or somebody. Right. <laughs> just somebody connected to this business. And he'd put it in and he'd sit in front of the TV like this. And I would be behind him and he'd watch. He'd go, you know, there's a party going on here, but it's not your party. And he would just make statements like that. <laughs> I go, excuse me? He goes, there's a party going. You got to make this your party. And I go, okay. And I sit and watch some more. And he go, shaking it. Wow. I did it like five or six times, and it never failed to just ruin my confidence or anything that I had, any sort of like confidence I had been building up just was right out the window. And you didn't get any pointer or tip or he. I still don't under- know what the point of this was. No. You he, know what this it, guy's it, name is? I don't. No, I'd have to go back. It was so demoralizing, but interesting. It was just the beginning of being in front of the camera, which is a whole new level of demoralizing weirdness, but because you're getting instant feedback about how you look and and everything else. And then, you know, I you know, at some time after that I got called to Las Vegas to some affiliate meeting and I'm backstage and Peter Ligori's there and he says uh I want you to just come out and say a few words uh, about what you're thinking about doing. I go, okay. And you go, just walk out. You don't want me to do jokes. And he goes, no, just just come out and say hi. It's Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. That's prime time for comedy. Prime time for comedy in Vegas, right. And I hear Peter Ligori go, here's our, uh, we've just picked up a talk show with Spike first. He's our new late night guy. Didn't even tell me he had picked the show up. I heard it as I'm walking up the stairs, just dazed. Like, did you just say we got picked up? And he goes, congratulations. It was a wild moment. Just a wild moment. You have so many of these wild, crazy moments. Yeah. Well, isn't that, that's why I got into the business. I saw it. I love, I love television. I love entertainment. It's, you know, it's not always fun like that. In fact, mostly it's. Did you enjoy the, did you enjoy the process being at the desk? as opposed to being that really felt like everything I had learned up until that point. Now I can learn. You're not answering the question. Did you enjoy it? I did. I loved it. I I loved it. So is it hard? But it took a while, like, you know, getting back to you you keep kept asking me on Seinfeld. Did I want to jump on stage? I didn't because I wanted to learn how to write. And then once I knew how to write and once I knew how to produce, then I had this new thing. How do you perform? How can you, you know, how do you do that quickly? And I, you know, I had the ability to call friends and go, you know, Jerry, how do I cover myself until I learn how to perform in front of a camera? And he goes, 
if you talk loud, people will think you know what you're doing. <laughs> that was his advice. And that was his advice. Yeah, that was his advice. <laughs> and uh, John Stewart was like, uh, just to, look, just trust me, stay off the internet for a year. Don't read anything about yourself. Just stay off the internet. And Jay was, uh, Leno was like, uh, yeah, write joke, tell joke. Just write joke, tell joke. That's it. That's a simple thing. A joke doesn't work. You do another joke. That's <laughs> it was, so, I, I, you know, I had a bunch of calls like that, and I incorporated a little piece of what everybody kind of offered. And it was, it was fun to, to learn in front of an audience, in front of, in front of the camera. I was really into it. It was fun. I loved being with the writers, and I made it a very writer-centric show. And, uh, you know, and, and again, what, it's like this. Howie, you, you, you've got a world you can control, so you're only sitting with people you really want to talk to so for the most part. You lasted longer than anybody on Fox. Yeah, we did night. three seasons. You did three seasons. Was it devastating when it ended? It was. Yeah, it was terrible. It was a terrible moment. Um, I think mostly because my father had just died the week before. But he, you know, he went out, you know, thinking I was the late night host. So that was kind of cool. Um, that's you know that's nice for him to it, see to to end on wow, that. Wow, that's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah, in. it was it was a surprisingly bad year, but mostly because of my father's death, not because right. of the show. But that was kind of dumped on top of it. But yeah, it hurt because I loved doing it. I loved the people, and I and loved, your father got to see what he aspired. Like yeah, right. He couldn't believe it. He could not believe that I I was on TV. He, it flipped him out. You know. So, and, and and you know you know the old psychology of why you're doing it. When we when I was growing up, we, we didn't really talk to Dad much. He was always at dinner watching Merv Griffin or Mike Douglas. Just we all would eat dinner watching TV. How so, many kids are in your family? Just uh, three kids. Three kids. My mom and the dad. Right, with the three kids. But you're just trying to get on the TV. Once I was on there, and then he called. He goes, "I can't believe you're on the TV." I realized what I had been doing psychologically. <laughs> <laughs> was just trying to get his undivided attention, which eventually I did. I wow. did. I was able to do it. But wow. it was an empty thrill. That's kind of isn't that interesting? It's incredibly interesting and and uh, very kind of an emotional, kind of a, a a wonderful moment that you just shared. Um, so you do that, you get uh, canceled, and then. You, is it a tough transition to go back to doing like right now? As I I bumped into you in in Malibu and you you're writing uh, Jerry's next movie with him, and the, the Pop Tart movie. Yeah, but, yeah. So now you're behind the scenes again. Are you in the movie? I had a part and I I gave it away. No, <laughs> you did? did. What do you mean? Tell me. I think I'm going to be doing the voice of a character in there, but um, it. It was less. Imp it's not imp that important to me. Like if 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 I were going to make a movie, I wouldn't say no to that. You know what I mean? If I were Jerry in that situation, but uh, playing a part, I just thought, eh, I would rather he be here. This is really Jerry's movie. This is his moment. He's uh, starring and directing, and he and I are writing and producing it. And I just wanted to be there to support him and to to help him out, not put my own face on. That's you know a, what I mean? You you're, seem to be a very evolved human. <laughs> Much further ahead than I or anybody I know is. You know, uh, that's uh, that, that's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm impressed by you. I don't know you. I, I, I don't know, like, I just know your credits. 
and I know what you've done, and I've watched you, and I said to you that, and I watched your late night show, and I said, why aren't you on TV more? I would love to see you on TV. Thank and if, you. If, if, if I could be a, a, I don't know that you need my help, but I, if I, I could do something, help. yeah, but if I could be a part of or do something with you on camera, at some time. I just think you're incredibly smart and witty Thank and you. good and relatable and real. A lot of things that a lot of people aren't, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I think it would work. And it's kind of a shame that, and, and that's why I wanted you on this podcast too, because I, I think that aside from the people who watched late night, they watch all these things and not that the people on camera shouldn't get the accolades they get, but they're not there without people like you behind. And and I think people like you are few and far between as oh, far as that you. kind of talent. So I'd love to continue to work with you. You're a great storyteller too and a great oh, thanks, speaker. Man. You know, but I guess that a lot of writers, and you probably know more than I do, but a lot of writers aren't really uh, great speakers, great communicators, right. great yeah. uh, performers. Yeah. And you have that. Yeah. You check those boxes. Well, that's that's years of podcasting now. Uh, I do the Spikes Car Radio Comedy and Cars podcast. Really, the podcasting, as you know, talking for an hour right. really relaxes you and helps you tell a story better. And uh, yeah, But you're a car nut, like some of the other comics we've Not talked really. about. really. I mean, I, I don't like that term. I like to drive. It's I don't golf. I drive. When it I met you, you me. were on a bike. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but um, you Boy, what, my, my kids were so impressed. They're like, uh, is that how, like my son says, is that how we meant tell? America's got talent? And I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, that's him. And he goes, why is he talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> the implication being, I don't have talent. And then he said, because you have no talent. And he wasn't being sarcastic. Um, he was very impressed that, that, that I knew you. And I said, I don't really. Uh, he goes, uh, he goes, so what, what, what was he asking? I go, I think I'm going to do his podcast. He goes, he books it on the bike path? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Malibu, it's a place you saw him in Malibu. Yeah, Malibu's the yeah. place he goes to find our guests. Yeah, it's now been like four guests from Malibu. So Malibu's a yeah. good. If you're starting a podcast, go to Malibu it or Santa Monica. And, yeah, and chases book people your own. down. Yeah, but what's amazing is that I do get to pass and see people that I just am so um, in awe of, and you are included in that group. I just think that you're really. Um, within the business, I think you, people are giving you your props, but I don't think that, I think that you deserve, um, wow. more Let's notoriety. Wow. You know, but let's uh, do it. Let, uh, I want to, <laughs> if there's Are you any, still developing? It, it only Show complicates your life, that you notoriety. <laughs> yeah, and I don't mean notoriety. Like I don't look to get. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, recognized, and I don't mm -hmm. even look to. Uh, I, I know what you're saying, I know but just saying. Th just in front of camera is the mm -hmm. seller. You know, sometimes, I, and maybe it's because I'm a stand-up. Also, you know, I don't yeah. know that if I. It's really exciting if I write something that I think is really funny and yeah. will be enjoyed by a mass audience. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine as somebody who's constantly been in front of the camera, though I produce other things, but I don't produce what I do. Mm -hmm. I produce other things for other people. But but um, it would be hard for me to see that person standing in front of the room, the audience roaring and laughing and applauding. And yeah, without, yeah. Without saying, you know, I, I, I wrote that. <laughs> I wrote that. That's you think that's funny? That's me. That's just the guy saying what I told him to yeah, say. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's a real hard or an I don't understand that position. Yeah. Well, that's just 36 years in the business. 
There, you know, in a lot of ways, something like the soup Nazi helps with that. Yeah, you've done it. What does it do for you, really? You know, you collect cars. I do. Yeah, yeah. What's your most prized possession? Uh, I uh, well, there. You know, I like old Porsches. I, I like. I have an old Land Rover. I'm really into right now. But but you know, I I, I worked for Dave. You know, I remember the the day Dave heard that I was a car guy. I was called up to his office. Hey, I hear you like cars. He goes, check out this uh, Volkswagen Rabbit. It's got ground effects on it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I didn't know anything. I just like these things. And he goes, yeah, that's like aerodynamics. It pulls the car under. He's like, this is, this is good. He goes, well, yeah, come out for the Emmy spike. Uh, I want you to come out to Santa Monica Airport and drive my cars. All right, get out. And, you know, that was my first or second week at Letterman. They were coming out for the Emmys. They brought me along, even though I wasn't nominated. And on Saturday morning, I was out with Dave at Santa Monica Airport. And he said, yeah, yeah, there you go. Here, here are the cars. There's a Ferrari. There's a Porsche. And go ahead and drive them. And you just drive them around the, on the <laughs> r- runways, on the tarmac? There? <laughs> this is a, these are the questions I was asking. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> like what do like, they Get on the runway. You know, no, don't go on the runway, for heaven's sakes. That's not for you. And I go, but, you know, it was, it was just another nerve wracking day in my life where one of his cars did break down. He goes, he With goes, you in it? With me in it. So did you break? And it? he's pretending to be cool and, and <laughs> fine with it, and and, uh, and and he's he called. You know, where are you? And I go, oh, something happened with the car. You know, I, was t- I took it outside the airport, and I was pushing it down Thirty First Street. You know where Ocean Park <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, you know, what what happened? Now he was serious, and it wasn't. And, Your second uh, week there, you're pushing his car back. Pushing his car after the throttle wire broke. Thankfully, because his detail guy left a uh, a rag in the engine, he'd wa- he'd clean the engine or something, and it got caught, and then a thing just snapped. So, so it wasn't you. <clears throat> it but wasn't me, but yeah. it didn't matter. I lost <laughs> but fifty that pounds like, that morning. But that sounds like weeks of forensics to find out that it, it was the cloth. Like you, there, how long before you realized? He opened it wasn't... up the back, and the rag was in there. And he oh, goes, oh okay. what the fuck is this? And then and then redirected his frustrations. <laughs> Jerry is known as a Porsche collector. Is yeah. that how you got into the Porsche? So there was five years of Dave and cars, and Dave was like, "You're a Porsche guy," and I said. I don't want to be a Porsche guy. I, I never liked that guy. You know, you grow up watching Caddyshack and the puking through the roof of that. You remember? Right, right. You know, it's always assholes. He goes, no, that's movies. He goes, these cars are uh, simple go-kart-like experiences. And he goes, drive one, you'll love it. And that was the upshot of that day. I got in that car, one of the old Porsches, and I went, boy, this feels perfect. Right. I really like this. This is the type of thing I want to drive. And they weren't even that expensive back in the day. Um and then, you know, spinning out of, uh, and I bought a 911. I uh, bring that 911 to LA and uh, pull in this old ratty old car with 300,000 miles, rust and everything else. And Jerry sees it and he goes, whose car is that? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, it's mine. He goes, yeah, right, right car, wrong example. You need to get a new one. Another confusing boss moment. I need to buy a new car. Why? Well, Jerry's a Porsche guy, and you know, and then he and I kind of bonded over that, and have been friends ever since. Wow. Yeah, and Leno too. You know, I I, I wrote for Jay when he was guesting on the Tonight Show on Mondays, and you know, we would talk cars. So but I'm not. He- I I don't. I'm not like Jay. Like you know, let me show you the Wankel engine. Yeah, it's really. I, my eyes kind of glaze over. I just like to drive. I like to drive. You said that you were writing for Jay on the Mondays. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Uh, and you went for Letterman. How do you feel about the whole, because I've had Jay, I'm good friends with Jay. How do you feel about the whole Jay Leno Conan 
Um, I kind of predicted it. I remember privately saying that that was going to happen. I felt like he was vilified on, he didn't deserve. Unfairly, yeah. Unfairly. unfairly. He was forced to, uh, he was forced to uh, getting emotional about it. Uh, no, I just get a runny nose when oh, I Oh, okay. I just thought I brought up something that was very emotional. <laughs> yeah, I'm wiping <laughs> tears away. <clears throat> no, I Look, felt he was I, vilified, but I'm saying you were I another... guess he was, and I know it's a very hot-button issue for some reason, but anybody working in television knows how vicious this business is. Terrible. Right? And, you know, I, I uh, you know admire everything Conan did and still do. He's an amazing career, but it, the show was not working at the time and NBC blinked and panicked. And, you know, back then that was a big deal and they needed to do something. And why is that Jay's fault? It's, it's not Jay's fault. Right. It's not Jay's fault. I'm with you on 100%. So I, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. You're real interesting and, and wonderful. And hopefully this is the, the, maybe the the first step to uh maybe doing things in the future i would i would love to yeah, see yeah, you yeah i'm so flattered howie i would love to don't be flattered because it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> well people don't generally say these things about me it's nice that you are well you know i happen to be on a podcast and i've said it to you on the bike path <laughs> but i just don't think if somebody comes up to you in a restaurant they're going to say it but i don't think i'm alone in my Thought. Oh, yeah. We well, should also mention see. that he got his brother into the business. You know, his brother. I just found out today. His brother is Wally on 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 the <clears throat> on the uh, Fallon show and on the Tonight Seth Meyer on Seth Meyer the the cue card guy. Wally the cue card guy. Yes. I thought you were going to say Wally the robot. Yes. Who's that? <laughs> well, the movie that's Wally. Wally. That's, that's Wally. E. Not Wally. No, I thought. I thought it might be related. <laughs> Might be, it might be, but he's the cue card, and you got him into the business. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I did, but he turned it into a whole thing. Yeah, he said, I want to be like my brother, I want to be a writer. Uh, no, he was the first one. He actually said, he went to college in Syracuse, and he's, I said, What are you going to major? And he goes, I want to, I want to be a writer, I want to be a screenwriter. And I went, Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) But now he actually writes, not even cursive, he he actually writes the lines that people read. You know, I don't think I would have had that idea that maybe that's why it was in my head that he was thinking about it. And I, I, I frankly, I went, that's a job. <laughs> you can write, you get paid you to said write there's three TV of you, though, movies. right? There's And my yeah. sister, she works for Amazon in uh, London. She's some sort of Amazon executive. In London, England. In London, England, yeah. Because right, I yeah. come from Canada. There's London, Ontario, oh, which yeah. is not no. as exotic. Nobody knows about that. I told them about it right now. Anyway... <laughs> Spike, you're amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so much for you. Uh, taking my invitation seriously and showing up. It means the world to me. And uh, what do you want to plug? The the podcast? What do you want to plug? Spike's Car Radio. Spike's Car Radio. And yeah. the movie is called the what? The movie is called Unfrosted, but it won't be out till next year. We're, on Netflix, we're, right? We're editing it right now. I've got to go back to the edit room. It's you, did, on Netflix, it's it's Jerry uh, is starring in it, and Amy Schumer's in it, and Melissa McCarthy's in it, and uh, it it was super fun. We'll come back and we'll talk about it. I would love you. I know Jerry will come back, right? Yep, bring him back. I would love him too. He, he you asked him on. He said he wanted to come on. Then hopefully we'll you'll come both on when we can come, come on together. Yeah, and promote it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Good. Fun. You're really good. You're a good talker.